0: It's always good to be able to come to the house of the Lord. I uh, told Vince a few minutes ago that if he'd have just pronounced the benediction after he was up here, we could have gone home and said we had a good service. (laughs) First of all, I want to thank everyone for praying for my wife. Some of you knew that seven weeks ago today, she fell she lost her balance at home and fell flat on her back, was in the hospital for... Two and a half weeks, and this is really her first venture out of the house except uh, for doctor's appointments since then. So, uh, for me, it's good to have her here because <laughs> otherwise I wouldn't know when to quit. <laughs> but you know, I kind of keep an eye on her, and every once in a while I see she goes like this, <laughs> and then she goes like this. And then she goes like this. <laughs> anyway, it's good to be in the house of the Lord and to sense his presence. Thank you, worship team. Uh, it's always good to be able to praise the Lord. And for the, if you may be visiting with us, we are sorry that our Pastor Brett is not here. But uh, I will try to do my best to bring the word of the Lord to you. And, uh, because God is good and he's faithful. And I trust that your heart is open to receive from him today. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, we realize that there's nothing better to do than to give you praise and honor and glory. For you are the Lord of glory. Father, we come opening our hearts to you. We want to receive what you have for us today. Father, I believe that you have laid this message on my heart for a purpose and I ask that you would guide my thoughts and my heart, so that I might communicate your love and your grace to each one that's here today, for we ask it in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Over the years I have tried to date and my messages and say where I have preached them, so that I don't make the mistake of repeating a message in the same place too often. And I know that from my my message this morning, my original notes I've lost, but I do have them from 1982. And I have not changed my precept or concept of what this scripture is all about. But I did want to mention that some of you may remember... I did preach this message here in Regina in 1963, <laughs> 60 years ago. And I've taken my text from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and I'm reading from the New King James, but I also wanted to mention regarding messages, and that is that even though I may use the same text in the may out that may same outline, God always has a way of interjecting what's needed in that particular service. So I may have preached this before, but I know that God wants to reach your heart today and meet your needs today. So in Hebrews chapter 12, let's read these couple of verses. Therefore, we also... Since we are surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And the part I want to emphasize is in verse two, looking on to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. If we place our faith in anyone else or anything else, we will have missed the mark when it comes to the race of our Christian life. And so this morning, I would like to challenge you to lift your eyes and look to him the founder of life and the source of life that you might grow in him today. But as I read these verses, I understand that, and that's unfortunate, that sometimes we read verses and we lift them out of their context. And for those of you that know me know that I kind of like things in their context. But when we lift anything out of its context, we miss what the writer, and I think the writer in this case was Paul, Paul, some of you may think it was somebody else, and that's okay, because it doesn't change the scripture one iota. But sometimes when we read this verse, things have been lifted out that I don't think was the intention of Paul in the first place. So as you begin reading, I want to look at the context, and I'm, this is important because in verse 12, he starts with the very small word, therefore. Therefore. And like I've said many times, when you find the word therefore, you want to know what it's there for. When he said therefore, he's reaching back to everything he has said up to this point, and especially chapter 11. Chapter 11, is, we've often referred to it as the faith chapter. It gives a definition of faith, and then it gives about 40 verses, or not quite maybe that many, telling us the heroes of faith that have lived down through the years How many of them were persecuted and some were actually martyred, but they kept the faith and they are a witness to us. But it also takes us back to the very first verse of the book. That's a good place to start. Let's say there's 13 chapters. We should be out by, well, we'll meet you for Tuesday for lunch. (laughs) (laughs) But notice what he said in chapter one, verses one through four. This is where it all begins. And it starts with God. Wow. There's no better place to start. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, through whom all also he made the world's, who being the brightness and glory in the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, having become a much better having become much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. It starts with God, and God first of all said, I talked to you in the past through the prophets. That was good. But now I want to bring the full revelation of my love to you in my son, Jesus Christ. And today, that's where we focus looking onto him, the author and finisher of our faith. But, but for, he's writing to the Jews, the Hebrew people of his day. But as he writes to them, he understands that they have put a great deal of stock in things that are not as important as they could be. And so he starts out in the first several chapters of the book to tell us that Jesus Christ is better than the prophets. He's better than angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Aaron. And then to top it off, he is the great high priest that has gone into the heavens and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, there interceding for you and I. What a blessed hope we have in Christ. But as we look at these verses, I want to come back to chapter 12 again, where he said, Therefore we are surrounded with such a great cloud of witnesses. There's been a theory revived in recent times, and I've heard it on TV from more than one speaker that are supposed to be a great evangelist and so on. But it's a theory that is revived from centuries ago, and that is that this cloud of witnesses are believers looking down and caring for us here on earth. Oh, I have a little trouble with that. First of all, we have only one intercessor and that's Jesus Christ. It isn't my grandmother. It isn't my dad. It isn't my daughter who went to be with the Lord about 47 years ago. But it's Jesus who is my intercessor. And when he talks here about a great cloud of witnesses, the very word cloud brings with it and is used in the first century to refer to a a group of people, such as in the amphitheaters. They refer to them as a cloud of people filling the amphitheater. And so Paul, writing here, said we are surrounded by a great cloud. And that great cloud is in chapter 11. All of the people that he's referred to there that have died in the faith and had a testimony of the goodness of God... That is the cloud and they are speaking to us today from, not from the battle of the balconies of glory, but from their testimony that they had. And the key to the to my understanding of this cloud of witnesses is the term witness. The term witness, and I'm not a Greek scholar. Uh, I used to kind of be frivolous and say they on, I only knew a little Greek and she was my hairdresser in Saskatoon. but. That's kind of lost its punch. So, <clears throat> But uh, the term witness here in the Greek, as I understand it, is somebody, it's a legal term, somebody that gives witness in court or somebody that witnesses a signature on a document. It's somebody that bears witness to the truth. And uh, that's what these witnesses are. All of these, and I wish to had time to read them from chapter 11. It's a fascinating chapter. All of these people that lived over the centuries had a testimony that God was faithful and God is faithful. And not only do we have the witnesses that we have in chapter 11, but I can look back and see the witnesses we've had in the last 2,000 years who have declared the goodness and faithfulness of God. I know people in my lifetime that have, Uh, proclaim the faithfulness of God. My wife reminded me just a few days ago in our devotional time that we're not praying for as many people as we used to. Sister Aiken, one of our pastor's wives, just passed away a week ago. Jim Morrison, a few months ago. People we prayed for and people that impacted our lives. And I could go back over the list. Oh, thank God for those that touched my life. Thank God for those that prayed for me when I had my back to the wall and I didn't know which way to turn. And they were faithful. Thank God for the faithfulness of God's people. That have testified that God is good and he is faithful and he's forgiving and he's loving and he's kind. And he is our helper. Day by day and moment by moment. Oh, what a great cloud of witnesses that agreed that God is good. Then we want to just continue moving on. And talk about the next part of that verse. He said, Let us lay aside, verse, the second part of 12, verse 1, let us lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily enslaves us and let us run with endurance the race that is before us. The task that we have today is to fix our attention on Jesus Christ and run the race with endurance. But he said, lay aside the weight that is there. There's several things that we might want to take into consideration here. First of all, when he talks about weight, what does that mean? Lay it aside. Well, again, I had to go to Wies' book, a translation of the book of Hebrews. And he said the meaning of the word in the Greek for weight is bulk, mass, a swelling, Mm -hmm superfluous flesh now i have a grandson-in-law who decided he needed to lose some weight and he had the surgery to, to shrink his stomach he started out at about 475 and i think he's down to about 240 the last i heard he lost me and somebody else in the, in, the, in the process as far as weight goes. If we're going to run this Christian way, race, there are some things we need to lay aside. He's not talking about sin here. He's talking about things that encumber us, things that hold us back, things that keep us from making progress. And I tried to think of some of those things. worry might be one nobody here worries I don't worry I let my wife do it for me (laughs) putting too many things on our calendar one of the problems that I had over the years is that I found it was too easy to say yes can you do this Jack Yes. Can you fill in here? Yes. Until I found myself pressed to the point where I didn't have time to communicate with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So my wait was rescheduling my calendar so that I would have time to worship the King. I don't know what yours might be. Maybe it's trying to keep up with the Joneses. Maybe it's trying to reach the first million in your bank account. Maybe it's trying to keep up with the fads of the day. Could be almost anything. But I'm here to tell you that Paul suggested that if we want to successfully run this race, we need to get rid of that 240 pounds of garbage that's keeping us. And I don't know what your weight is. Spiritually. I could guess some of you physically, but I'd probably be wrong. But he said, get rid of it. Don't let it control your life. Don't let it block your vision from seeing the king of kings and lord of lords. Get rid of it and run with endurance the race that is before you. And then he goes on and said the sin. Which so easily ensnares us. And I know that you have all heard that we from the King James version that we all have besetting sins. Well. I don't like that. And the reason I don't like that is because. It gives me an excuse that I can't help myself if I've got a besetting sin. If my sin is falsehood. And if I tell a little white lie, why does it matter? It's me. That's my, that's my struggle. The Lord knows. I don't think we have besetting sins. Because when I got saved. 72 years ago. Jesus washed me clean. Now, did I ever sin after that? Yes, I did. What happened? The Holy Spirit convicted me. I fell on my knees before the Creator of all, confessed that I had sinned, and He cleansed me again and brought me back into His fellowship. That doesn't happen with besetting sins. Besetting sin says you're bound by it. You can't help yourself. You're a victim. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ died upon the cross and rose again. So that that might be broken and you're free. To live victoriously for him day by day and moment by moment. We have victory in Jesus Christ. He didn't intend for us to be bound. In sin. He set us free. My friends. My friends. Just read the rest of the book of Hebrews. He says the holiness of God and the righteousness of God is going to be demonstrated in your life if you run this race with endurance. And that holiness and righteousness of God cannot come about except through the cleansing power of Jesus Christ and the renewing of his Holy Spirit within us. Then as you look at at that phrase, and here's where I'm getting at, he says, "Get rid of the weight and the sand." Now I'm not didn't do very well in grammar. In fact, uh, since the teenagers are all at camp, I can tell you this. But <laughs> in grade twelve, I had to rewrite my grammar exam. wasn't fun. But here's what this says the sin. It doesn't say a sin, it doesn't say many sins, it says one sin, the individual sin. Well, what is that sin? I think it's unbelief. For the entire book of the Hebrews is written around believing, and if you don't believe, it's unbelief. And that is what destroys us. Now, what about unbelief? Well, I, when I was growing up, and some of you maybe remember this in your church, they had a list of sins tacked on the wall. Some of them were short, some of them were long, but there was a list of sins. Well, those were just symptoms. Of the real sin. When you lie, that's a symptom of unbelief. When you break the Ten Commandments, that's a symptom of unbelief. It's not the real thing. The real thing is unbelief. If I believe that Jesus cleansed me from all sin, then I'm not going to practice sin. If I believe that Jesus is going to be the judge for eternity and I'm going to stand before him and the books are going to be open and my life is going to be before him, if I believe that, I'm not going to practice sin. Sin is on belief in the fact that Jesus Christ came and lived and died and rose again and brought victory for each one of us. And we can put our faith in him this morning. But I want to take just, oh, isn't that nice? They've removed the clock from back there. (laughs) I want to just take a few moments to share with you that there are five in the book of Hebrews, there are five warnings. And I'm not going to be able to go into all of them because I am very conscious of time this morning. But first of all, the first warning is that we should take heed. To what the son speaks. We should listen to Jesus. And I do want to read chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. This will probably be the longest that I, of portion I'll read. It says we must place more careful attention therefore. To what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For the, since the message spoken through angels was binding. And every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore so great salvation? Jesus came and told us about salvation. How shall we escape if we don't believe it, if it's on belief and we ignore it? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testifying it by signs and wonders and various miracles, by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So listen to what he says. Take heed to what the son speaks. The second one. Don't it come short of the promises. Found in chapter 3. Verse 7 through chapter 4. Verse 13. The promise rest. He's speaking about Israel. They come out of Egypt. And God promised them the promised land. But because of unbelief. They didn't enter in. And in 319. He's speaking to us. He said so we see. That they could not enter in. Because of. On belief, warning against sloth, standing still and falling away, Hebrews five eleven through six twenty. It's talking about not progressing, and we don't progress because of unbelief. And then four warning against willful sinning, chapter ten verses twenty six through thirty nine. I want to read verse thirty two through thirty six. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured great struggles with suffering. Partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulation, and partly while you became a companion with those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourself in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence which has great reward for you have heard for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Don't willfully sin. I cannot comprehend what it was like in that first century for a Jew. To accept Jesus and become part of the way. In many cases, the family totally disowned them. They actually had funeral services saying that they were dead. If they owned property, they was many times confiscated. Inheritances were not granted to them. But they suffered faithfully because they knew that they had a savior, that they would meet again on the other side, and that the reward would be for all eternity. He's saying, don't sin. Don't cast away your confidence. Don't let unbelief destroy you. And then lastly, he warns against falling short of God's grace and refusing him who speaks. chapter 12, verses 15 to 29. But, you know, Hebrews also gives us a definition of sin. I mean, you've been listening to me saying I say that sin is unbelief. Well, let's go to chapter three, verses 12 and 13. Beware, brethren, lest there be in you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you should be hardened through the deceitfulness of sins. And the NIV says in verse 12, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you have a sinful unbelieving heart unbelief I believe is a sin that he tells us to cast aside in Hebrews 12 verses 1 and true lay aside the weight and unbelief you say well what if I'm struggling with something I got news for you Jesus knows that and if you will just simply bow and say father I confess that I need help in this area The presence of the Holy Spirit will take care of it. So we come back to our text, looking on to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So let's read those verses again, along with just a few more. Chapter 12, verses 1 through verse 5. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls, for you've not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. You and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. There's three let us in this verse, these verses. Let us throw off every hindrance and sin. Let us run with endurance the race that is before us. And then let us fix our attention. Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I had a difficulty grasping what he meant by author. And so again, I had to borrow from my Greek friend, Kenneth Weath, who wrote several books on uh, definitions of Greek words. And he said the word author in the Greek actually is talking about a leader, a leader example. So looking on to Jesus, the leader example. Now we forget sometimes that Jesus was a human being just like you and I, with one exception. The sin nature wasn't passed to him as it was to us because he was born of Mary and was the son of God. But Jesus set an example of faith. When he got up in the morning, he found a place of prayer. He talked to the Father. He knew what it was to be tempted. Scripture tells us he was tempted in all points like we were. I I have a hard time understanding that. Because I know how I've been tempted. Jesus, you were tempted in the same ways. But by faith, he set an example by putting his trust in the father, that the father had a better purpose and a better plan for his life than what he could find in himself. He was that perfect leader example. And then he said, not only the author, the perfect leader, but the finisher and other of our faith. In other words, because he was that example set out for us, we could follow him and he will bring us to the conclusion of our life with confidence because he knows that we've put our confidence in God and our trust in him if you're standing at a point in your life this morning where it seems as though the encumbrances of life have weighed you down maybe the devil has convinced you that you can't help being different than you are I'm here to tell you that Jesus wants to set you free He wants to give you hope. He wants to cleanse you. He wants to make you a new creature in himself. Could you stop with me for just a moment thinking about looking? That that word looking is fixing your attention on Jesus and blocking out everything else. Looking at him. Can you just imagine with me this morning that you're standing out in the prairie and you're watching the sunrise in the east? Well, I guess that isn't a good example for some of you. Because you probably aren't watching the sunrise. But for, so let's go the other way. It's setting. You fix your attention in the west as the sun goes down. All the colors. All the shades. All the beauty of that particular thing. It changes. There are no two sunsets the same. They're always different because of circumstances. But you fix your talk. Everything else is blocked out. And you see the beauty of it. This morning. I want you to block out everything else. And fix your attention on Jesus. The King of Kings. and Lord of Lords. The resurrected Redeemer. I want you to see him hanging on the cross. And saying to the Father. It's done. It's finished. I've paid the debt for all humanity. We think about ourselves here as a body of believers 150 or so people that he saved but oh he died to save everyone the worst sinner you could think of jesus paid the debt for his sin even though he's still in it and if you're happy to be here this morning and there's some of you folks i don't know i don't know where your heart is i don't know where your soul is But if you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit has been tugging at your heart and saying, I want something different than what I've had in the past. I want life, as we sang about, real life, eternal life. Just reach out to him and believe that he is the Savior, the Redeemer. Fix your eyes on him and allow him to fill your life with his love and his grace going to ask the worship team to come. And as they come and begin to lead us in another hymn, I'm also going to ask you, uh, ask the prayer team also to come. If you're here this morning and you have a need of any kind, the prayer team would be happy to pray with you and and, uh, minister into your life. If you're here and you just want to do nothing else but get closer to Jesus and look at him come and to the altar, lift up your eyes and look to him. I believe God is here to minister to your needs. If you're here and you've never invited Christ to be your savior, I would invite you to just close your eyes, open your heart and pray this prayer. Heavenly Father. I know my life has been filled with unbelief. I've never really taken time to think of what Jesus wants me to think about. But I want to come this morning and let him fill my life with his love and his life and make me new. I want to begin a new journey so that I can run this race with endurance and be the person of God that you want me to be. I ask in your precious name Amen. If you prayed that prayer when the worship team sings and the prayer team comes, come and talk to someone. I'm going to ask you to stand actually, because it's always easier to move once you're standing. If you want to stand, just step out and come.